It's God's light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine. As children, we were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in all of us. Uh, you know, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 10. That's where we're going to be today. And this week, it was interesting. I was talking to uh, some of our staff, and um, um, we were talking about how technology has changed our world. And um, how many of you remember when you had to get up to change the t- channel on your television? You couldn't sit there. I remember that. I remember that. Um, you know, I was talking about ministry changes. Like, when I, um, when I started in, in ministry... I didn't have a computer. I mean, I remember college before the internet. We would write papers uh, before the internet. <laughs> and uh, uh, so I remember life before Google. My kids will never know that. They'll never know life before uh, Google. But, um, you know, it's been interesting. I, I remember when I got my first pager. Anybody have a pager when they you remember when you had a pager? I thought it was so cool because with some of my friends, if they wanted to talk to me, they could put in a number, call a phone, and then I would go, oh, someone wants to talk to me. So I got a phone number. I could go to a pay phone or a landline and, and call back. I thought it was so cool. Uh, and then there came the text pagers where you could actually get a message. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I, I got to go to a phone. I got to find a phone so I can call them back and continue this conversation. And, and, um, and now it's funny, we have smartphones. I have a smart watch that tells me when to stand up. I've been sitting down too long. You know, I saw advertised, we we, there's smart refrigerators. I mean, do we really need a smart refrigerator if you're at the grocery store? I don't know what's in my refrigerator. I, I was at a, my wife and I went to a concert Friday night, and it was so interesting. The, I feel bad about this, but this lady is sitting next to me, and, uh, and, and I was stalking her phone she was on her phone and I just caught my eye it's dark in this concert and and uh she was checking on her baby uh in her house and so she pulled up the video and she was frustrated because she and her husband were kind of mad because I guess the babysitter wasn't doing their job and they got up and left early because they were watching the video and they kept whispering and and so it was great because it was crowded it gave me more room so I was kind of glad but um uh (laughs) But, you know, it's interesting as we have all this smart technology, you would think that we would get smarter. But what I found, what it seems as I see our culture unfolding, that uh, it's making us more smart aleck, I guess. You know, um, it's interesting. The, the smarter we get, it seems the more skeptical we are of the supernatural because we want to explain everything. And and, and then when we say as believers, as followers of Christ, that God is speaking to us, that God has spoken to me, the world goes, You're, really, seriously, God would speak to you? And the answer to that question is absolutely he does. God speaks all the time, and God is at work in our lives, and, and, and God is at work in our church, and, and God moves us, I believe, to live in this zone as believers, where we are interacting with the King of Kings. 
that, that the God of all creation will speak to us. And that is one of the most normal parts of our lives as believers, as human beings. Because the, the divine, the creator of the world is, is at work in our world. And he's at work in the lives of believers and unbelievers. And like Brandon said, maybe you're here today and you're not a believer. And can I tell you that God is at work in your life? For us as believers, it is the most normal part of our day, the most normal part of our week for, the, for God to speak to us. And, and I, I pray that we learn to live in that zone. In Acts chapter 10, we see this unfold in this incredible story, in this incredible moment where God speaks to unbelievers and to believers. And it's just an incredible text, and, and, and I, I love it because in, we're in the series called Ecclesia, which is this idea that, that the church is called out. That's a, that's a biblical word describing the church, Ecclesia, and it means the called out ones. And, and we see in the book of Acts, as the early church is deployed and and the early church is walking with the Lord, and they're engaging uh, the Lord, and they're listening to his voice, and they're serving him. And I'll tell you, that's still the plan for the church. The church is still called to listen to the Lord, to go out into the world, to, to uh, be used by God to share the gospel. And this is what's unfolding as the church begins. And in Acts chapter 10 is, is a transformational moment in the life of the church. It's huge for all of us because I would say 99% of this room is filled with Gentiles, meaning you're not Jewish. And, and so the Gentiles, as they came to Christ, this is the moment in Acts 10 when the Jewish leaders and the Jews got a vision that the gospel was for everyone. And this is such a transformational moment, and we've got to recognize if this moment didn't happen, we would likely not be here today. But God loved us so much that he wanted us to be here today. He wanted us to be included in the gospel. And this is the moment. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look, read together Acts chapter 10, 44 through 48, which is kind of near the end of the encounter. And this is what happened. And then we're going to backtrack. We're going to go back. And I want you to stay with me in your Bibles in Acts chapter 10. And, uh, and this is an incredible, incredible story. So would you stand with me and let's read Acts chapter 10 starting in verse 44 through 48. Peter's speaking here, and he's preaching, actually. He says this, verse 43, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated now. 
Now, this is this account in the book of Acts, it, it really goes from Acts chapter 10, 1 through Acts 11, 18. Uh, and, and it's the longest narrative in the book of Acts. And, it, and it's interesting that Luke turns the spotlight onto this moment because it's a significant moment. And, and so we got to hustle because this is a big passage of scripture and I want us to grab a hold of it. But back in verse 1, if you'll look at this, uh, at Caesarea, remember Peter ended, we ended last week as Peter was at Joppa. And he's at this tanner's house. Peter's kind of going on this little mission trip as he, as he follows the Lord. He's trying to put Acts 1-8 into practice. And he's saying, like, i got to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And then he knew that Jesus said, go to the ends of the world. I don't think Peter got it until this moment. And so, so Peter's in Joppa. And at that time, in Caesarea, which was about 36 miles away or so, um, there's this centurion. And in Caesarea was an interesting city. It was, um, it was kind of the staging area for all of the Roman conquest. It was a military town. And uh, it was the one place, one of the few places in that area that was, uh, was Jews were in a minority. And, and Jews were, they didn't like Caesarea because the Romans were dominant. And, and there's this commander in Caesarea named Cornelius, and he's an interesting guy. The Bible calls him, if you read this account, it says that he is, he is a, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Now, a centurion was this leader who was uh, a, a, an enlisted man, but yet he, he rose up the ranks, and, and a lot of people believe about uh, this Italian cohort. He was Italian, obviously, but, but he led a group of men anywhere from 100 to 600 men. And so this is a guy that was respected. He was a fighter. He was one of these men that, um, that uh, when I picture him, he was one of the guys, I think, that was leading the front lines with his men. He was a, he was a tough man. He was respected. And we see this in his life. We see from, from really verses 1 through 8 that he was a generous man. He was, a, he was a, a devout man, the scripture says. Now, he's not a Christian. He's not a follower of Christ, but, but he's a seeker. And he's, he, he knows God is probably one God. He, he's interacted with the Jews. We see from the text that Jews respected him. And Jews, uh, they, they liked him. And those that knew him knew he was honorable. He would help people. He was a little bit of a God-fearing man. Not that he was a believer. He wasn't a believer. But he knew there was a God. And he lived his life in a way that was respectable. And it says that, that about the ninth hour, he's praying and he's seeking. And verse 3, he said he saw clearly an angel of God come to him. And he speaks to him, and he, and he reveals to him, God speaks to him supernaturally and gives him this vision that there's a man in Joppa named Peter, and you need to hear from him. Now, he doesn't know what he needs to hear from him. He just gets this vision from God, you, you ought to go get this guy. And so what does he do? And I love this about Cornelius. He, he immediately gets out of this vision, and he gets up, and his, his leaders, the guys that are around him, he says, go to Joppa. Go to this, and, and God gives him the detailed vision here. Uh, there's a man that's living in a tanner's house. Go find him. 
And, and it's interesting how God is so specific with this lost guy and gave him a vision. Now, folks, this, you see this all through history. We, uh, Andy Coleman, who's one of our leaders in our church, uh, who he, he's been running for Congress and has been a, at, at Voice of the Martyrs, he tells stories all the time of, of people he meets in the Middle East that get a vision from God. Go talk to this man. And, and, and that's what happens here. God spoke to this man. Now, folks, God does this all the time. God's done this all through history. God does this today. I I don't want you to miss the fact. Don't buy into this smart world that we live in that says God doesn't speak. You're crazy if God speaks to you. No, it's normal for God to speak to us. And we see this right here. And so so what does he do? He sends these men. He says, go find this guy because I got this vision from the Lord. And so he goes. And, and um, it's interesting. He, uh, uh, he, he, he goes to find Peter and sends these guys to go find him. And, and we said last week, as, God, as, as Peter stayed at this tanner's house, God was at work in Peter's life. Now, you know, uh, what God was doing here in Peter's life. Though he was in the middle of walking with the Lord, being used by the Lord, God was breaking Peter's spiritual pride. Now here's the first point today that I want us to see. Do you know that God is working to remove our spiritual pride? Do you know that sometimes we develop, those of us that are in the church, have been in the church a long time, You know, it's easy to develop spiritual pride, meaning that we look down on somebody else because, oh, they're not as godly as us, or they're not as spiritual as us, or or they don't know as much as us. Now, this is a problem that the church has had from the beginning. I mean, Jesus, when he interacted with the Pharisees, I mean, he was harsh, I mean, incredibly harsh with the spiritually prideful. And folks, I, tell, I want to tell you something. In our own lives, when we become spiritually prideful, God, convict, God, God hammers us. There have been times I've been hammered by the Lord. You might think, oh, God loves me. Oh, oh let me tell you something. There have been times I've needed to be hammered by the Lord, okay? Because, because God loves us, he disciplines us. And right here, it's interesting, because Peter's being used by the Lord in supernatural ways, but yet there's still a spiritual pride that he needs to be delivered of. And this is something, folks, we've got to hear today. Now, you see in verse 9, as these men are on their journey, God's at work, God, Peter's at the tanner's house, he goes up on top of the roof, which is common in that house structure those days. Uh, the Tanner's house was kind of a common house. So, so more than likely, right by the street, you could go right by the Tanner's house and call into the house. It wasn't like a big courtyard. This was a, a, a working man. Um, uh, it was right by the sea. And so Peter's on the top of the house about the six hour to pray, verse 9 says. And, and, and he gets hungry and he wants something to eat. And he falls into this trance. And as Peter's praying and in this trance, all of a sudden this sheet comes, he gets this vision of this sheet coming down from heaven. And in verse 9 through 16 kind of describes this event. And as Peter's in this trance, this sheet comes down and and on it are all these animals. 
uh, that are clean and unclean. If you've read through the Bible, Leviticus 11 gives a description of what a good Jew should and should not eat. And it's very exhaustive. There, there are things you shouldn't eat, and it's forbidden to eat. And as, as Peter is in this trance, this sheet comes down, and it's got four corners of it, and, and it's interesting, and, and on it are all these different animals. Some are clean, some are unclean. Peter's hungry, and he hears this voice from God, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. And, and it's interesting because verse 14, look at what verse 14 says. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. Now think about that statement. This is something that should never be said by any believer. By no means, Lord. No, Lord. How can you look at the Lord and say, you're Lord, but Lord, I'm going to say no to you, right? That's not something that should ever come out of our mouths. And unfortunately, this is something I struggle with often. I look at the Lord and say, Lord, I I can't do that. Lord, no, no. And what I'm praying for us as believers, that that never comes out of our mouth, that we're always, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I will follow you. And what's interesting, as Peter in his spiritual pride sees this, now he missed the the joy of bacon. I mean, mean, God is saying, Peter, you're going to really like bacon, okay? Um, Bacon's good. You're going to like it. It's not good for you all the time. We ought to take bacon in moderation. But... um, But he says, by no means, Lord. And he says, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. Verse 15, and the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. And it's interesting, this happened three times, and the thing was taken at once into heaven. Now, the number three is important in the life of Peter, right? I mean, what what did Peter all deny Jesus three times? You know, you see Peter struggle all through his journey of, Lord, no, we can't do that. But, but right here, three times, you see Peter struggling with this, going, God, I, I got to keep my, my ceremonial laws, and, and, and God's giving him a vision. Now, the meaning of this vision, the four corners that, that Peter sees, this represents north, south, east, and west. You see this various foods that are on this sheet that Peter sees. It's representative of, 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 this, of the world. I mean, God has given Peter a vision of the world that all people groups, all people are, are, are included in the gospel. And Peter's getting it. He's starting to see, wait a minute. I've been calling something unclean, but God is calling it clean wait a minute, what's happening? And then as he is in this vision, look what happens. It says uh, he gets, the, the Spirit speaks to him. And he says, hey, three men are coming to look for you. Wake up and go welcome them. And so again, the, the Spirit of God is speaking And before it happens, all of a sudden, Peter comes to and hears a voice outside the house going, is Peter here? And the scripture says that Peter goes downstairs and he invited them in. Now, now this is is the big moment. And I want you to see this, that that, that look at at this. So verse, verse 22, 
Um, no, let's go back to verse 19. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany, accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So again, you see God speaking to Peter. And he says in, in, in verse 21, And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. For what is the reason you are coming? And they said to him, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear what you have to say. Verse 23 is a pivotal verse. It says, so he invited them in to be his guest. Now that's humongous. You may think, well, why? It's just nice. I mean, if God told him and he invited him in, but you got to recognize that in this moment, when Peter invited them into his house, this was crossing a line. For 1,500 years, a Jew was not allowed to invite a Gentile into their home. They were not allowed to sit with a Gentile at a table for 1,500 years. This was forbidden as Jews. And, and, and what he did, Peter right here, he welcomed them into his house. And, and it's interesting because this is a culture that if you sat at a table with somebody, you are saying, we are, we are friends. And the Jews had this vision, had this idea that we cannot be friends with Gentiles. Do you see that? Can you imagine that? That if we, at, prior to, to Acts 10, if we would have walked up to Peter or John, they would look at you and me and say, we can't sit with you. You, you, we, we, you can't come into my house. But right here is obvious. These guys were Gentiles. He broke this custom because of this vision. And he looked at these Gentiles and said, come in. Now still, at this point, Peter has no idea why he's going to Cornelius' house. He just knows he's supposed to go. These men don't know why Peter is supposed to talk to them. But look at verse 20, uh, 23. The next day he arose and went with them. Some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, verse 24, and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius, he walks into the house. What does Cornelius do? He falls down and worships him. But Peter looks at him and he says, hey, get up. I'm not God. Don't worship me. And in verse 28, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or, or to visit with anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent, I came without objection. I ask then why you sent for me. Now, now, I want you to see that God is breaking down his spiritual pride. God has broken him of this. And this is very, very important. Peter, again, he articulates, you know that it's unlawful for me to come into your house. They knew this. 
but Peter walks into his house. Now, here's what, here's what I want us to catch about our spiritual pride. Do you know if we're growing spiritually and we're becoming godly, do you know that genuine godliness will produce the fruit of the Spirit? Like if we're really becoming godly and we're really becoming mature, then we're going to have more love, more, more patience, more, more kindness, more goodness, more faithfulness, more gentleness, more self-control. So you see what, this is a way we can check ourselves. Because if we're, if we're spiritually prideful, we're not gonna, going to experience the fruit of the Spirit. Do you know if we are genuinely godly, do you know what it's going to produce? Genuine godliness develops humility. And, and I'll tell you, I've seen this in seminary. I mean, I mean, goodness gracious, I've been in circles of, of theologians and really smart guys that have studied the Bible. I, I've been in intense theological discussions with people that I disagreed with. And, and you know what I've discovered is the more godly I get, the more humble we get. And if, and if, you ex, if you're experiencing this, I'm better than you, I'm, you're, you're, you're dumb, you don't know this, or, or if you're in a theological discussion and you look down on somebody, folks, let me tell you something, that's not genuine godliness. And what God is doing in Peter's life, he's breaking him of this. And I love this, that... that you look at what, what God is saying to Peter. Peter, right before his eyes, point number two is this. He's discovering that salvation is available to everyone. And Peter's discovering this because um, he doesn't know why he's there. Cornelius doesn't know. And, and he stands there, verse 30, and, and Cornelius just says, well, I don't know. Four days ago, I got this vision from God that you're supposed to come. And think about what Peter did. He walks in his house. He's trying to talk to Cornelius. And all of a sudden, the whole place is full of people. And he's like, oh my goodness, what is going on? All these Gentiles are here, and, and he's looking at them. He's like, why, why am I here, Cornelius? And I love it because verse 34 through 43, basically Peter stands there. He doesn't know what to say. So what does he do? He shares the gospel. Verse 34 through 43 and it is basically a seven-point sermon. I know you can read this and go, Chris, come on, man. It only took him like three minutes to preach this sermon. Why don't you preach in three minutes, okay? <laughs> come on, give me a break. Well, Luke's just recording the highlights, okay? He broke it down. Peter preached a long time. I preached shorter than him uh, probably, but, but he preaches. He basically gives seven points. In verses 34 through 43, it's this. He, he says to these Gentiles, Jesus was anointed. Jesus was anointed by God. Jesus was, was the plan of God. He, he talks about, the second thing he says about the gospel, he says Jesus was righteous. He, he, was, he was pure. He was holy. He was a righteous uh, leader that, that entered human history. Um, he said that Jesus was crucified. Roman guards, Roman soldiers knew about this. They knew that the crucifixion was a curse. And, and Peter articulated that, that Jesus was cursed. He took on the curse of sin on himself. Then he said Jesus was raised from the dead. He talked about that, that, that he, he rose from the dead. And, and they were like, oh, my goodness, he, he conquered the grave? I've never seen that. And Peter was able to say, I saw him. I watched him die. I watched him be crucified, and then I, I spent 40 days with him. I watched him ascend into heaven. 
I'm an eyewitness. So he, as Peter shared the gospel, he, he presented himself as a witness of, of the one who rose from the dead. He, he, he called, he, pre, he said in verse 34 through 43, he said that Jesus called us to preach the message of repentance. And he looked at this group of people and he said, you know, you need to repent. And he talked about how Jesus was predicted to be the only one who could forgive sin. And, and as he preaches this, as, as he walks through 4, 34 through 43, the verses we read today, was this incredible moment of, of uh, right before their eyes, right before his eyes, people begin to say, I need Christ. And the Holy Spirit fell on these people and they, and they were saved. And Peter looked at them and he says, you've got to be baptized. You, I mean, w- w- there's water and we, we've got to do this. They, they've watched God work and God is moving among these people. And it's unbelievable. And there were six men, we know from chapter 11, six men came from Joppa. They were the circumcised men. They were re- righteous men, religious men. And they couldn't believe it that, like what we read, look back at verse 44. It says, to him, Peter says, all the prophets bear witness that anyone, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed, look at this, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Folks, the gift of God came to us too. And they couldn't believe it. And look at this. They, they, they were hearing them speaking in tongues and ex- praising God. And, and Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Christ, of Jesus Christ. And then he stayed with them for several days. And what's interesting, as, as Peter does this, he, he, after he stays with them, he goes back, verse chapter 11, 1 through 18, just in quick summary, he goes back and, the, and the, the Jewish leaders say, how could you go into the house of Gentiles? How could you do this? You see their spiritual pride, their struggle of accepting that salvation is for everybody. And Peter said, no, no, no. Salvation has come to the Gentiles as well. The gift of God is not just for us Jews. The gift of God is for everyone. And folks, we got to hear this because there are people that we rub shoulders with and we are silent with the gospel. And what's interesting about this is that, is that Peter preaches the gospel to them. You know, they didn't know, they didn't respond to Christ until Peter shared the gospel. And folks, i got to tell you, that, that's our call. We're called to share the gospel with people. We're called to to speak up. Now, point number three is this. Divine appointments are both common and amazing. Do you know that God is at work giving us divine appointments all the time? That divine appointments are common in our lives? This is why we've got to be people that live in that zone of saying, God, we will listen to you. We will hear you. We will follow you. Because when those divine appointments come, we've got to respond. And we respond with the gospel. And, and I, if you want to learn how to share the gospel, verses 30, really, uh, 34 through 43, that's a great outline to share the gospel if you're needing to know how. 
But folks, these divine, this was a divine appointment for Peter. And Peter goes back to the church and says, wait a minute, I had a divine appointment. And they responded to the gospel. And I want us to recognize that divine appointments are both common and amazing. Now, what do we know about divine appointments? First thing you see is that divine, divine encounters always start with God. With Cornelius, it started with God. With Peter, it started with God. And, and I want you to know, when you're at work and God uh, puts someone on your heart to speak to, do you know that God's already started that work? And so we should be bold. We should be in, interact. We should be able to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you to speak up. Divine appointments always start with God. A divine encounter will require action on your part. That God will move us to, to act. And, and can I tell you that so many Christians today are afraid to act because we live in a world that seems so smart. But can I tell you something? The world around us, the people around us are hopeless without Christ. And folks, it's important that we speak up because a divine encounter will require us to act. A divine encounter will also never be fruitless. Now right here you see that, that um, Peter shares the gospel and all these people respond. You know, you know what, what I get to do today? Um, I get to be an ambassador for Christ. One of the core verses in my life, and, I, and it's in our church, it's a, it's a core passage of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21 says this, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For, the, for, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And folks, I believe God is preparing us to be his ambassadors. You know, today, today, Billy, Billy and I, we're leaving after our second service, and we have a divine appointment. We're going to be driving to Oklahoma City. I'm going to go to Oklahoma City University, and it's the semifinals of the Justin Sullivan Memorial Baseball Tournament. And today, I'm going to, and I pray you pray for me, about 3 o'clock, I'm going to I'm gonna go to the pitcher's mound at Oklahoma City University, and I'm going to take a microphone, and the four semifinal teams, uh, that made, the four teams that made it to the semis of our tournament are going to all be there. I'm going to give them a book that I wrote called A Life Worth Following, which I wrote up that helped start the ambassadors baseball team. And I'm going to stand on a baseball field and I'm going to share the gospel with a group of people that, that they would never come to our church. They just wouldn't walk in the door of our church. And we're going to share the gospel on a baseball field. I know, it's awesome. Pray for that. You know what is... I don't know. It's never happened before. They've never fallen on their knees and said, hey, let's just stop the baseball game and have, a, have an invitation and start baptizing people right there. That'd be cool. That'd be awesome if that happened. We'd do it. But, but you know, several years ago, the same thing happened. I shared the gospel on the baseball field. And a team from Wichita, Wichita Sluggers, won the tournament that year. Levi Meyer was a catcher for the Wichita Sluggers. A month after 
I stood on that baseball field and shared the gospel. He sent me a message on Facebook. He said, are you the guy that talked about Jesus on the baseball field at OCU? I said, yes. Can I call you? I texted him my number, or I sent him my number on Facebook, and he called me immediately. I sat in the parking lot of my church on the phone with him and led him to Christ over the phone. Led him to Christ. You know what's crazy? Is, uh, I never, I've never physically looked Levi in the eye except passing, saying, good game. You beat the snot out of us. They beat us that year. I hate losing, but we, we, they did. But I've just connect, stayed connected with him just through Facebook. And he's now a coach. And he played for Florida Atlantic and, you know, hit a home run to make it to the Super Regional for Florida Atlantic and just as a this crazy catcher. He's older now. He's married. Several years ago, the ambassadors were playing in Kansas. And uh, we had just shared the gospel. We'd beaten this team and just shared the gospel on the baseball field, which is what we do. And uh, as we're getting our stuff out of the dugout, the coach for the other team walks over. He said, hey, guys, thanks for playing today. I love playing you guys because you guys can play baseball. He said, but... Um, but you may wonder if you're making a difference. I want you to know something. Several years ago, my son, Levi Meyer, came to know Christ, and our entire family has gotten saved. Entire family. And so I want you to know something. When you speak up, when you em embrace those divine appointments, it will never be fruitless. You may not see it. There have been many times I, did, I didn't see what Peter saw that day. But, but I'll tell you, it'll never be fruitless. Why? Because God is at work. Because God still speaks to people. Will you be one of those that live in that zone? And say, God, I will listen to you. I will follow you. I'll get rid of that spiritual pride. God, I will recognize that salvation is for everybody. God, I will turn my face and pay attention to these divine appointments. We're going to have an invitation, and I want you to stand right where you are. How has God spoken to you today? Maybe you need to come and give your life to Jesus. Because maybe you've realized, man, I've not received this gift of salvation. Maybe you need to come and just get on your knees and pray. Ask God to speak to you. Ask God to prepare you. Maybe you need to come and repent of spiritual pride. Maybe you've been one of those that, that you think you're spiritual, but you know what? You just feel arrogant. Maybe this is something God is moving you to go look Spiritual growth is humility, sensitivity, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. Would you allow the Holy Spirit to move you and speak to you?